People often ask me how they can experience God. They want to experience God in a real and tangible way, as real as experiencing the feeling of flying in an airplane or the thrill of rafting down some river rapids or the feeling of sure adrenaline free-falling while skydiving. This is how a lot of people want to experience God. In fact, they want to have experiences like this every day. But sadly, this isn't the case in the Christian life. And so many people walk away feeling disappointed, wondering where is God in their lives. They don't feel like they are experiencing God in their lives in any real or tangible way and are left to wonder if He really cares for them or not. When we begin to wonder why God is absent in our life, it is hard to be courageous in life, especially when faced with trials, uncertainties, or opposition. So how do we experience God? The quick answer is we need to practice spiritual disciplines, and we did an entire sermon series on spiritual disciplines recently. But if I were to tell you, you can experience God when you read His Word or practice a strong prayer life. I realize this generation, young and old, aren't very keen on practicing these essential spiritual disciplines, choosing instead to want to experience God in other ways. So in no way minimizing the central importance of reading God's Word and cultivating an active prayer life, I want to propose some ways, according to the Bible, how we can experience God. Let me just say clearly that the strength of our Christian faith should not be primarily based on our feelings, emotions, or experiences. The faith we have should be rooted in the truths of the Scripture and knowing the God revealed in the Bible and establishing a real relationship with Him. So while feelings, emotions, and experiences are important, they are secondary to the truth about God as revealed in the Scriptures. But that being said, God does want us to experience Him. And so I want to take a look at some biblical principles by which we can experience God daily in our lives so that we can stand with courage and confidence to face this world. As we continue our study in the book of Joshua in our series entitled Courage in the Crucible, we want to learn about these biblical principles for how we can experience God daily through how He leads the people of Israel through a very unique experience. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Joshua as we take a look at Joshua chapter 3 and 4. If you remember from last week, the people of Israel were camped along the eastern shore of the Jordan River, ready to cross over and to reclaim their rightful promised lands. I read from Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove, and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Now the time had come for the people of Israel to cross into the promised land. But first of all, they had to cross the mighty Jordan River at flood stage, when the waters were overflowing from the riverbanks. Even in normal times, crossing the Jordan River would be a, a challenging task. But when it is flooded, it would have been nearly impossible. The challenge was how to get everyone, man, woman, children, the elderly, babies, livestock across the river. How do you get hundreds of thousands of people to cross a raging river at flood stage? 
you would think that the leaders would be preparing and instructing the people for how to swim across or perhaps instruct those who are the strongest of swimmers to go first and take with them ropes so that they can set up guidelines or perhaps they had the technology to start building a bridge so that others can get across. But surprisingly, the only instruction from Joshua and his officers for the people to follow were that they were simply to look for the Ark of the Covenant and follow it. When it moves, they were to follow. Now, if you're unfamiliar, the Ark of the Covenant was a gold-covered wooden chest which was carried on two large poles. A golden lid was placed on top of the chest known as the mercy seat and two golden cherubims placed above the ark. The ark was placed in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and later the temple of God in Jerusalem. The mercy seat was where God supposedly sat and resided between the two winged cherubs during that time. Therefore, the ark represented the divine presence of the living God, Yahweh, for the people of Israel, and therefore it was considered holy. So the people were told they needed to look for the ark of the covenant, and when it moved, they were to follow. Notice how they were to follow the ark in verse 4. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. The people were to follow the ark from a distance of 2,000 cubits. That's about 914 meters or about 1,000 yards between the ark and the people. While this space would certainly convey a sign of respect for the holiness of God with the people keeping their distance, verse 4 gives us another reason for why they had to stand back. The Bible tells us they were to keep a distance so that all could see which way the ark went and at what point they crossed the river because they had never come this way before. They were unfamiliar with the terrain. As they followed the ark, the ark would serve as a lead guide to ensure that they don't get lost and they cross the river where God wanted them to cross. Here was clear instruction for the people of Israel to follow the living God, Yahweh. And as he led, no one was supposed to go ahead of the ark or ahead of God. You see, when you and I follow someone, we have to be behind the person. But then again, we also can't be so close when we are behind that we can't follow properly. What do I mean? Let me give you an example. Let's say you're walking behind someone, and you're walking behind that person very close, and that person in front suddenly stops, and you're right behind. What happens? You run into that other person because you can't stop fast enough. Your reaction time doesn't allow you to follow properly. But if you follow behind from some distance, and you give space to the person you're following, then if they stop suddenly, then you will be able to stop as well. You will then be able to clearly follow and easily follow So it is when we say we follow God. Oftentimes we think we're following, but in reality we're right alongside of Him or we're just behind. And we're raring to go on ahead even if He were to slow down or to stop. You see, we become impatient with God because at times He seems to us to be moving too slowly or we wonder why He even stops at all. But because we are following but so close behind, we simply go ahead of Him when he slows down or stops. But the Bible gives very clear instruction for the people of Israel. Do not come so near so that as you follow, you can know clearly 
where the ark is going. One can only really experience God when one follows Him. If you don't follow and run ahead or run alongside of Him, then you and I can't really experience God. For example, if you go to a music concert, but you get to the concert two hours before the musician or band comes out, and after getting bored or tired, you leave because you don't think they'll ever come on stage, you will not be able to experience the musicians even if you are at the concert venue. Or a sports analogy, let's say you leave an NBA game at the fourth quarter thinking your team is down by 20 points, but somehow while you're gone, your team was able to tie the game, and it went into triple overtime, and in triple overtime, your favorite player drained the game-winning three-point shot just as the buzzer went off. If you weren't at the game, you cannot experience the excitement of the euphoria of all of the fans who had stayed in the arena, but you missed out because you did not stay for the entire game. Those who left early missed out. So it is with experiencing the work of God. We don't experience the work of God because we either have given up, we've left, or we've run too far ahead, not willing to wait for God and in His time. So let's see what other instructions are given. Look at verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The Bible tells us there is a command for the people to sanctify themselves, to make themselves holy. They were to examine their hearts and purify themselves because tomorrow they would see God do amazing things. You know, it's interesting, instead of telling them to prepare to swim across the river or to prepare their weapons for the fight ahead, they were told to make themselves holy and purify themselves. You know, it's interesting that before they could see and experience a mighty work of God, they had to sanctify themselves. You know, I think that gives us a glimpse into why many of us don't experience God the way we want to experience Him. Because we are not cleansed in our hearts. We harbor bitterness, anger, deep sins in our lives. We continue to engage in actions that displease God. And then we wonder why we don't feel God or experience His presence. It's because a holy God doesn't want to have anything to do with sin. If one lives an unrepentant, sinful life, how do we expect to experience a holy God's interaction with us in our lives? Remember what James chapter 5 verse 16 says. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That verse reveals that the more sanctified you are, the more God works in your life. The more sanctified you are in your life, the more His presence is revealed in your life. You know, did you ever notice that everyone is always nice to you on your birthday, especially your children? I remember once overhearing my children a few years back talking amongst themselves, and they said to one another, remember, don't make mom mad tomorrow. It's her birthday. Because if mom is mad, then we don't get cake. It's the truth that a great experience is tied to one's relationship. It is the same with the Lord. The experience of our lives are tied to our relationship with the Lord. If it is one where we are sanctified in our lives, then we will experience God. 
So let's put it all together. How do you experience God? Experiencing God, number one, follow God's leading with cleansed hearts. Follow God's leading with cleansed hearts. When that happens, you will experience God in ways you have never experienced Him before. He somehow becomes alive. You know, I've been going through something these past few years that have required me to really follow God. I am often thoroughly confused as to why He has allowed certain things to happen. He seemingly moves so slow at times, I believe. And this situation has taken me to places that are completely new to me, things I've never experienced before, and I wonder why God has allowed it. They aren't fun experiences. It seems all I can do is just to make sure that my life before Him is clean and that I don't run ahead of Him. But you know what? Through these series of trials, I've experienced God in ways I've never experienced Him before. There are people whom God has used to encourage me as His vehicle of hope. The feeling of a peace that passes all understanding is ever-present. The Scriptures have come alive for me as never before. And His presence and companionship has never been more real to me during these times. You can really experience God when you simply follow His leading with cleansed heart wherever that leading may take you. Look at me at verses 6 to 10. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gergeshites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. The Lord's instruction to Joshua for the priests was that they carry the Ark of the Covenant into the waters of the Jordan. And there something miraculous is going to happen but note in verse 10 that the people would know through this miraculous work that the living God was among them. The living God was with them. Would you underline that phrase in verse 10? That you shall know that the living God is among you. Because that's the reason for why God is going to do what He's going to do. To show that the God who's able to do what He's able to do is the same God who will drive away Israel's enemy from in front of them. Look at verses 11 to 13. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Now the Lord explains what He will do. When the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant steps into the Jordan River, He will hold back the waters of the Jordan upstream so that it will be dry land that they walk on. The water will be held up upstream. It will stand up like a giant wall of water. Imagine the sight. 
It's as if an invisible barrier wall is holding back the water. We know it to be God. And that's exactly what happens. Look at verses 14 and 16 and all the way to 17. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away from Adam, the city that is beside Zeratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. And it happened, as Joshua had explained it to the people, as soon as the feet of the priest carrying the ark stepped into the edge of the overflowing river Jordan, the water from upstream was held back and the river downstream became dry and the riverbed became dry. Look at what is emphasized in verse 17. It was that the river that they had seen overflowing its bank was now dry. Where the priest stood was dry and the land upon which the people of Israel crossed was dry. The point was that this wasn't some natural phenomenon that caused the river to stop flowing. This was a miraculous work of God who displayed His mighty power that He could even make the riverbed dry immediately so that the people did not have to walk in muddy lands. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the people walking across the river. As some of them were walking to the right, perhaps, they could see a wall of water that had been stopped about 16 miles upstream. The land that they were walking on was completely dry. Perhaps it would have reminded some of them of what they had experienced when they were children escaping out of Egypt when God parted the Red Sea. Those walking through could have experienced one of two reactions. Some could have thought, well, you know, this is no big deal. We've seen it before. God did it with the parting of the Red Sea. The other reaction is, wow, this is truly amazing. And they are truly wowed by the experience. Which of these two experiences would you have if you were one of them? Would it be a ho-hum, it's happened before, or wow, this is awesome. But hold that thought and jump with me to chapter 4, verses 10 to 18. So the priest who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and all the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priest crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, 
when the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. As soon as all the people had finished crossing over the Jordan River, Joshua instructed that the priests come out, out of the river as they brought the ark. As soon as the priest's foot stepped onto the dry land on the other side, the raging waters of the Jordan flowed again and at flood stage. You can imagine the huge volume of water quickly overflowed and filled that entire area. The people would have been in astonishment as they suddenly saw all the water come rushing down from upstream in a tremendous roar. I can guarantee you that everyone who walked through the dry riverbed of the Jordan just a few minutes ago, only to see the river come back with full force, must have been very aware of God's great power through His awesome display in what they experienced. For sure, young and old, there would have been wows and wonderments while crossing the riverbed and now seeing the water come back, there would be more wows and wonderment. You see, experiencing God, number two, walk in wonderment of God's great abilities. Walk in wonderment of God's great abilities. You see, a lot of us don't experience God because we don't walk in wonderment. So we don't see Him at work when He really is. We take everything for granted Remember the question I asked earlier, if anyone would walk away from that experience if you were there saying, ho-hum, it's not a big deal. The Red Sea experience was better. This is only a river. The Red Sea was actually a sea. We may not think that there are people like that, but sadly there are many Christians who think like this because they become jaded or because they want to see greater and greater things. Hugh Davidson writes in his article something about this. He wrote, Charles Spurgeon said, everything is wonderful until you get used to it. I remember the first time I ever saw an automatic transmission in a car. I thought it was amazing. But unless we order it now, we'll never see a stick shift manual transmission in a car lot. It's become so commonplace, the automatic transmission. I remember the first time I saw a microwave and a man took a piece of stale bread put a few drops of water on it, and it was very much like it was just freshly made in 30 seconds. And now almost every home has a microwave. I remember when the Beatles were on the 6 o'clock news, and it, it wasn't because of their music, but because they had long hair. Today, those four would be considered neat and clean. And then I remember when the first remote control for the television came out. It had a really long wire. Now it's completely wireless. One night I couldn't find the remote and I thought I might as well go to bed because I couldn't remember how to turn the television on. So it is with our attitude towards God at times. We're no longer in wonderment of His ability to spin the world and the universe in orbit with such precision or to cause beautiful sunrises and sunsets every day. We're no longer in wonderment that we can take breaths every day and how oxygen is taken in but CO2 is expelled and yet it's reversed for plants. We complain we cannot experience God but it's not because He's not working. It's because we're no longer walking in wonderment at God's amazing abilities and in what He has done. I remember the story of a little girl who was traveling on a train with her dad 
As she looked out the window, she saw many things that excited her. Look, Daddy, she would exclaim, there's a horse. Look, Daddy, there's a cornfield. Look, there's a cow going into the barn. Look, there's a farmer plowing. Look, Daddy, there's a pond with ducks on it. The father who was reading his newspaper wasn't very responsive. He just kept saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Finally, he became annoyed and a little embarrassed. He turned to the passenger seated nearby and said, please don't mind her. She still thinks everything is wonderful. My friends, are you like that little girl or like the father? Do you still think of everything that God has made and what he does as something wonderful? Are you still in wow and awe and in wonderment at what God is doing? Because if you are, then you will experience God in amazing ways every day. But if you aren't and you are simply ho-hummed with what God is doing, then no wonder you will complain that you can't experience God every day. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Now after all the people had safely crossed over the Jordan and before the waters came back while the ark was still in the river, God asked that twelve stones from the middle of the river be dug up and brought to the other side. Look at verses 4 to 8. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial for the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them there. You see, Joshua selected 12 men representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and each of them were to pick up a large stone and carry it on their shoulders to the other side so that they could build a monument, a memorial, where they lodged that first night. Very clearly, it was to serve as a reminder for the people of Israel what had happened that day. Verse 7 said that he was to serve as a memorial so that they would remember the miraculous works of God. Look at verse 9. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Apparently out of Joshua's own initiative, another twelve-stone monument was set up in the place where the priest first stepped into the Jordan River as a reminder for the people of Israel. You see, there were two monuments, one on the riverbank and another at the place where they first encamped on the other side of the Jordan at Gilgal. Jump down to verses 19 to 24. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. 
And they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Notice that Joshua said that these memorials would serve as a reminder to the children of Israel. When they asked about these memorials, they were to answer that it was because of the mighty work of God to allow them to have this miraculous crossing. It wasn't that they crossed the river that was necessarily important. It was that God miraculously made the crossing dry. Look how many times this aspect is stressed. In verse 22, they crossed on dry land. In verse 23, God dried up the waters of the Jordan. God dried it up until we crossed over. This was pointing to the greater purpose for remembering that this was a miraculous and a mighty work of God. And by doing so, the people would fear God. You see, experiencing God, number three, remember with intentionality God's work in your life. Remember intentionally or with intentionality God's work in your life. We need to remember God's mighty work to experience Him. Because often through going back and looking, what we see through spiritual eyes, and we see that indeed what we experienced was indeed a work of God that we can say we experience Him. Someone once wrote, sometimes we as Christians need to stop along life's road and look back. Although it might have been winding and steep, we can see how God directed us by His faithfulness. Here's how E.F. Marshall described what the Christian can see when he looks back. The deliverance the Lord has done, the way He has led, the blessings He has bestowed, the victories He has won, the encouragement He has given. When we face difficulties, we sometimes forget God's past faithfulness. We can only see the detours and the dangerous path. But looking back, you and I can see that there are joys of victory, the challenge of the climb, and the presence of your traveling companion who has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. When we intentionally remember God's work in our lives, it's easier to see that He works similarly in our lives so we can experience Him in the present by remembering the past. This call to remember the mighty works of God is because we are such a forgetful people. For the people of Israel, generations later, they may minimize the crossing of the Jordan as something, well, they crossed over and they were able to easily overcome the obstacle of crossing a raging river, but yet forgetting that it took a miraculous work of God to allow them to cross on dry land. So hence, these two memorials to remind the generations to come that as they told the story of the crossing of the Jordan, it is simply focused on God's miraculous mighty work. I remember the story of an elderly man who moved into a retirement community. It wasn't long until he made a number of friends among the other elderly residents. There was one lady he was especially attracted to, and she was attracted to him also. They spent a lot of time together. 
Finally, one evening, he proposed, asking her to marry him. The next morning, he woke up remembering his proposal, but he couldn't remember her answer. So he went to her and said, I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but I know I proposed to you last night, but I can't remember if you said yes or no. Oh, thank goodness, she replied. I remember saying yes to someone, but I couldn't remember who asked me. You know, we do this all the time. We remember God did something great, but are not quite sure what He actually did. You see, if that's the case, then the purpose of us remembering is no longer there. That's why we have to intentionally remember the specifics, write in a journal, post about it on social media for the future, to be reminded of the specifics so that you and I can acknowledge our experience with God to show that those experiences with God are indeed true. We need to remember, remember, remember. Let me close with this story. On a hot summer day in South Florida, a little boy decided to go for a swim in an old swimming hole behind his house. In a hurry to dive into the cool water, he ran out the back door, leaving behind shoes, socks, and shirt as he went in. He flew into the water, not realizing that as he swam towards the middle of the lake, an alligator was swimming towards the shore. His mother in the house was looking out the window and saw the two as they got closer and closer together. In utter fear, she ran towards the water, yelling at her son as loudly as she could. Hearing her voice, the little boy became alarmed and made a U-turn to swim to his mother, but it was too late. Just as he reached her, the alligator reached out from the deck. The mother grabbed her little boy by the arm just as the alligator snatched his legs. That began a terrible tug of war between the two. The alligator was much stronger than the mother, but the mother was too passionate to let go. A farmer happened to drive by, heard her screams, raced from his truck, took aim and shot the alligator. Remarkably, after weeks and weeks in the hospital, the little boy survived. His legs were extremely scarred by the vicious attack of the animal, and on his arms were deep scratches where his mother's fingernails dug into his flesh in her effort to hang on to the son she loved. The newspaper reporter who interviewed the boy after the trauma asked if he would show him the scars. The boy lifted his pant legs. And then with obvious pride, he said to the reporter, but look at my arms. I have great scars on my arms too. I have them because my mom wouldn't let go. I like this story because it reminds us that the scars in our lives tell us the story both of how we were attacked, but also of how God would not let us go. Each scar tells a story. Each scar is a story of God's love for us. In fact, the very scars on His body, His hands, His side, His feet, tell us of His death for us on the cross because of His love. In light of what God has done and continues to do in your lives, I pray that you will experience Him daily. Remember, follow God's leading with cleansed hearts. Walk in wonderment of God's great abilities. Remember with intentionality God's work in your life. God loves us deeply. He is always with us. We often simply need to change our actions and attitudes to acknowledge His presence in order to experience Him so that we can say all is well 
even in times of trials, uncertainties, or faced with opposition. May God bless each one of you as you experience Him daily. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. From the crossing of the River Jordan, we are able to see how we can experience You in a very real way. Lord, I pray for those of us who are running ahead of You, that we would learn to follow and with cleansed heart wait for Your leading. I pray that those who are jaded, who no longer see the wonderment of Your works every day, would walk in wonderment at Your great abilities of how You created this beautiful world and how You work in our lives in unique ways. I pray that those who have forgotten about You and simply think that life happens because of the work of their two hands will intentionally remember Your work, Your mighty work of love in each one of our lives. And through this attitude change and through a focus upon what You continue to do in our lives, we can say that we are experiencing God every day wonderfully and uniquely so that we can find courage in times like this. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.